hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Wait, did I read that right? How to prevent money from ruining my divorce? You got it. With the increase in divorce, more of us are dealing with exes and our new O's. In light of this being the week of Valentine's Day, we thought we'd take the topic of divorce to a new level, a level where you can actually learn from it and prosper financially. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Okay, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to get part of the in-crowd. Everybody wants to to look good. My my decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Grab a glass of wine because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. Well, welcome back to another issue uh, episode of Queer Money. I forget whether I'm t- talking or writing. <laughs> um, today, I'm excited to we're excited to host Dr. Janelle. Um, I, we often talk about. Um, intentional in our show and we talk about the the law of attraction and, and how you know we put out positive vibes positive vibes come back to you and so many many months ago uh, a, a podcast host uh jen t who uh, go, was going by the, the term professional lesbian i don't know if, it, if that's changed with her new job um she asked if she could have us on her podcast and then shortly after we were on jen t's podcast um she introduced us to dr janelle because she th- thought um that that the the three of us would hit it off. And so Dr. Janelle and I talked at this point, I don't know, two or three months ago, and we totally hit it off. Um, and we figured out that that her message would be great for our audience and our message would be great for her audience. So that's kind of the the, the, the benefits of the law of attraction and putting positive vibes out there. So welcome, Janelle, Dr. Janelle. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm very happy to be here and definitely grateful to Jen for connecting us through those wonderful laws of attraction. Yes, absolutely. So, um, would you mind giving our listeners a bit of a background on um, who Dr. Janelle is and where she came from? Absolutely. So, yes, I am Dr. Janelle. I am technically a PhD psychologist and I'm a relationship advisor, uh, which means that I work with individuals and couples to help them improve their communication, collaboration, and harmony in their partnerships. And um, I located in Massachusetts, but I work mostly with my clients through video and phone, so video conferencing. And um, I also have a podcast and I work with, uh, you know, sharing lots of tools and tips to develop better skills for long-term partnerships to continue to thrive and grow. Awesome. And one of the reasons why I think that we're excited to have you on our show, especially this week, because this podcast will go live the week of Valentine's Day. And love is in the air, right? Love is in the air, and <laughs> or money, <laughs> right, right? Oftentimes, uh, those kinds of holidays or those kinds of uh, events can cause friction uh, it, with with couples. Uh, so it's great to have the opportunity to talk about some of these issues with you, both the positive and the negative ones that allow us to grow and flourish as couples. Absolutely. I think this is such a 
important time of year and I'm happy to be featured the week of Valentine's Day. That's so perfect. Um, and, you know, I actually work a lot with the five love languages, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with those, but uh, they basically outline the kind of love that you like to receive and that which you tend to give to a partner. And one of those is gifts. And there's a whole misconception around that. So I think it's really important, especially around a holiday where it's sort of pushed upon us to give gifts <laughs> that I think that's a really important piece. That's, nice. That is so true. It does seem that uh, there is an obligatory air when it comes to almost all holidays these days. You know, it, it seems like for whether it's Christmas or uh, a birthday or Valentine's Day, it, it seems like, you know, the card companies, the candy companies and <laughs> the any sort of gift giving company seems seem to be taking advantage of these holidays. But uh it's nice to, to think about that idea of gifts can be in all different forms. We have, we have kind of a snarky one coming up later on. We'll talk about. <laughs> so um, for our listeners, I think it'd be interesting for them to understand you have a, a unique niche in um, the relationship space, having come from a, a traditional relationship and, and yourself getting into a lesbian relationship. Can you expand yeah. upon that, please? Sure, absolutely. So I consider that I work with what I call non-traditional uh, relationship structures and family structures. And the reason is because those are what I'm personally familiar with, as well as uh, where my expertise lies. But personally, you know, I grew up in a family that uh, came from divorce. I have step-siblings, their step-parents, all of that. Um, and about five years ago, after being in a 11-year relationship with my high school boyfriend, we were engaged uh, through, you know, not ever, as you said, laws of attraction, not on purpose whatsoever. I met a woman who was married with three kids and uh, we just met as friends, but things evolved and we ended up both leaving our male partners and we've been together raising her three biological children with her, you know, co-parenting with her ex and his now wife for about five years now. And, um, you know, there's tons of challenges that come out of that, as you can imagine, but one of the most and, and sort of pressing since the beginning is that financial piece. And so this is such an important issue with these kinds of big big um, changes with divorce and remarrying, especially when there's blending families. And I think it's not always brought up in the forefront, but it's why I really think this is such an important topic to fit with the kind of clients that I tend to work with. And my personal life definitely speaks to the, the fact that this is something that pervades even after years of being with your partner, if you fall into one of these categories. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great because we, you know, the, the, the tagline for our show is that we talk about the financial nuances of the LGBT community. And I, I don't know that there's a lot of information out there for people who have gone from a traditional structure, family structure and got, become, I guess, gone into a non-traditional or queer structure, how to, how to manage that, to navigate that, that change in the relationship and how you can maintain sanity for your entire <laughs> family, especially, you know, the children being the most important part. Um, you know, how, how, yeah. how, how can you navigate all that? So I think it's great. Um, what patterns do you see with money in queer relationships and, and, and when you do have that, uh, the, both the merging of, of, of relationships when people are start out as queer or when they realize that they're going to go from, non from a traditional to a non-traditional relationship? So there are a couple of patterns that are very fascinating and do seem to differ from 
you know, the any other sort of type of structure when it's coming out of that non-traditional into, I'm sorry, coming out of a traditional into this more non-traditional in that sense or queer. And one of the ways um, that you that shows up is that a lot of times if it's females um, leaving their male partners for a woman, the, the soon-to-be ex-husbands don't seem to be as angry at first as they would be if they were being left for another male. Um, and what that can result in is that the um, sort of amicable separation lasts for a lot longer and there should be more discussion appropriately about what's best for the financial future of the children. This is, of course, when there are children involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that seems to be a benefit at the start anyway, that you can really talk about these financial issues up front. Um, but on the flip side of that, for the woman who's now left her male partner for a woman, there's this sort of belief, I think, a lot of the time that it we're very, very similar about lots of things. And therefore, one of them must be our financial outlook and our financial history and our debt and all these things that then go unspoken. Um, And of course, you see this in other relationships as well. But I do think that that's a a fundamental issue with a lot of couples that feel like they're similar in lots of ways that it's sort of like, oh, we must be the same when it comes to our financial spending habits and what we see for the future as well, which, as we know, is not really the case. (laughs) Right. Right. All unique in that area. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I do think that's probably an an interesting dynamic because I think if you're already in a a relationship and you find yourself attracted to somebody else and you're prepared to leave your existing relationship to go to the new one, I'm sure a lot of that is based on emotion and very little of that is is Mm -hmm. due to pragmatism. Yes, (laughs) So you you probably haven't sat down and looked at each other's budgets and finances. I mean, you're more likely trying to, 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 I I don't know. don't paint a picture here, but maybe you're trying to score an hour <laughs> before you go right. home to your, your traditional spouse. Um, so the last thing you're probably talking about it is money. Yeah, and this sort of shows up right when you're finally making that leap to really make the change in your life. So whether you are, you know, already divorced and therefore, you know, your separation with your ex is, is settled, but once you start to make that you know, more serious leap into the next relationship with your same-sex partner, you then have to think about your living situations, what the children are going to deal with, you know, and, and that's where in one way what's beneficial is that it comes up somewhat quicker. What, how is this going to look? You know, where where do we both stand financially? If you're trying to buy a house together or move out of one house for another, you have to talk about finances. But it can still be a really sticky subject because, like you said, you're going from one structure with your you know, previous spouse or partner that may look very, very different than the life you will be leading now as you know, co-parent and in the same sex relationship, that those roles are not yet defined and you're just sort of figuring that out while also trying to navigate this new financial territory. So I think it's interesting because you, you probably have some unique challenges um, going from an existing relationship to uh, a new relationship especially going from traditional to non-traditional. But at the same time, you've already gone through it before. So do you have, you know, do you find that your clients sometimes have a little bit of, um, I guess, expertise in in the area? You know, I would love to say yes to that because it would give us some more hope that people understand the importance of dealing with their finances <laughs> up front. But like you said, a lot of these relationships come out of some very emotionally charged situations. And one of the first things that I end up telling my clients right away is that um, to sit down with a financial advisor, you can get a free consult most of the time, but you're going from you know a situation that was predetermined before the two of those people met, and you're trying to create a future. And there is a large portion of that future that is determined 
determined based on your financial status. And so, you know, it can cause, as you know, lots of arguments between two people who have very different, you know, sort of financial personalities. And so I always recommend that if it's complicated anyway, even, I mean, this is true for any couple, but especially when it's complicated, as in these situations, that sitting down with a third party that's neutral and has expertise in the area is the best thing you can do. And yes, I do think everyone should budget to have a financial planner, but not everyone can. So at least going for that consult is such a critical thing, or really just listening to all of your podcast episodes would be equally <laughs> as useful. <laughs> Thank you for the plug. <laughs> I was just going to make another plug, actually. One of our affiliates, Payoff, does a free per, uh, financial personality quiz. So that might be um, something of interest yeah. that um, our listeners could could they could each, I guess all partners or everybody in the in the quadrant, whatever, <laughs> could take to, to make sure that the transition is as amicable as possible. Right. We'll, we'll just add that to our show notes yeah. if, if you're interested in taking that quiz. You know, I have a question. Um, it seems to me, and I, I could be wrong here, but it seems to me that when you are in a relationship and you're leaving that relationship, that you may have established some patterns of secrecy. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of curious if you see those patterns of secrecy um, migrating into the money aspects of your of new relationships. So you've left one relationship and you're in a new relationship and maybe there was that secrecy there and you feel it's okay to hide hide certain aspects of money in that relationship. You know, it's interesting. I think a lot of the uh, couples that I've dealt with, because it is that unexpected kind of falling in love when you weren't looking for it, or you're, you're not purposely trying to, you're not already separated necessarily, you may have still been in that relationship, or something kind of happens, you know, unexpected in that way, that it feels like you're very, very open and honest with this person. So I think what actually ends up happening is that there's a level of believing that you have been completely transparent about everything, but there's this big subject that hasn't really been talked about. So I don't think it's necessarily on purpose that anyone's being secret um, in any sense, but I think it's this understanding that because we've been so open and with each other, we must feel the same way about these things. We must have this sort of, you know, general belief about how we're going to go about the world now together because we feel so connected in other ways. And, you know, I stress this with my clients all the time, and this goes well beyond the financial realm, that a really deep connection with your partner does not mean that you're the same. It means, you know, you're two very different people still with possibly very different operating systems. And that can show up in all different ways, like with your finances. And so I think where it comes into play is that rather than being secret, it's it's just this thought that we already have this established. We already know what we're going to do. When in reality, you might know what each other's jobs are and jobs are in your salary, but you don't really know much else. And you don't know what you want your financial future to necessarily look like or what your financial goals are. And that's not very sexy to talk about at the beginning of a new relationship, but it is really important to do that. So I do think that that's, um, you know, kind of pulling out back that cover and not having that secrecy and being just that transparent about finances is just as important. Do you find that couples who are making this kind of a transition um, leave other aspects of the relationship out? They don't talk about those things before they dive into the and make the commitment? Or is it just money that's kind of the redheaded stepchild? <laughs> 
It, you know, and it's interesting. It can, money is the biggest one, I would say, because it pervades every couple because finances are obviously always relevant. Uh, the other situations are more like how we're going to parent our children if there's, you know, stepchildren and families and uh, blended families involved. Also, how what are the boundaries we set up with uh, our ex-spouses or partners? Because if there are children involved, unfortunately, you know, you still have to deal with that ex and you can't just kind of cut ties. And so there's very different beliefs about what feels appropriate and what doesn't when communicating with your ex and those are often felt very viscerally so that it's sort of like, well, obviously you shouldn't talk about this, that, and the other thing, but it's never been a conversation on the table about what are our boundaries with our exes. So it, similarly, it's those patterns from before and it's partially also what you really didn't like about what was happening before. And you just assume that this new wonderful connected relationship is not going to take any of those things that you didn't like before into it which again, is is not necessarily true if you're not laying it out on the table. So it's that full transparency, you know, ex total exposure that you need to kind of have about all those things that you would like to see be different this time. Yeah, it, it's interesting you're, the things you're talking about because John and I oftentimes, we think back to our relationship and when we first got together and we didn't have the money conversation. You know, even though <laughs> both of us were in Finance. finance, we were finance professionals. We didn't talk about that. And although it wasn't until a year and a half year, a year and a half later that we actually did start talking about it, we don't think it would have impacted our relationship or whether we got together or not. But it was nice that we started making that or having those conversations. Yeah, and I think that's actually pretty common, certainly. And sometimes, like you said, it may not impact the you know, what the sort of trajectory of your relationship would have looked like. But for a lot of couples, it is the, you know, impetus for lots of arguments. And, you know, that's one of the other things I really deal with is sort of avoid, you know, dealing with a better approach to arguments and not avoiding the topics that are triggers, but figuring out a healthier approach to dealing with things that might be emotionally charged. And certainly finances are one of them. And the assumptions that come along with how you're going to spend, how you're going to save, you know, what kind of house we would want to get together. Those are the kind of things that, as you said, are often not talked about in the first year. And, that's really where the establishment of that solid foundation comes from. And so it really should be one of the first things you talk about once you realize that, hey, I think we really want to try to commit to a life together. And, you know, even again, consultations and free quizzes about your, you know, financial personality are such great tools to use because you're not committing to anything. You're not paying, you know, a thousand dollars to work with someone and then you might break up at some point, which is why I think people don't talk about this stuff in the beginning is because they're like, well, we're not joining a bank account right away. We don't need <laughs> to have this conversation right. but your personality about it and the style that you have is going to affect even that first year and a half of your partnership most likely right. well i think at the end of the day we're we all get into our relationships initially because we have a fundamental biological attraction to each other right. you know it's, we're not saying oh i bet you he has a big bank account right. <laughs> i'm not calling you a gold digger <laughs> yeah, exactly but yeah. so how What's your advice for people who, you know, like most of us, got into a relationship with somebody purely for physical, for reason, physical reasons, or you know, maybe you know, uh, an attraction because of their their their, their personality, personality or the way the way they think? Um, how, how, when, what's your advice on how to maybe bring up some of those pragmatic discussions? Like, how are we going to raise the kids if we decide to move forward? How, uh, where will we live? What, how will we manage our finances? 
Yeah. One of my favorite ways to do this is to kind of use us as scapegoats and say, you know, I was listening to this podcast today, honey, and I heard that, <laughs> you know, they were suggesting that couples should really talk about a budget within the first six months of dating. You know, I mean, it sounds foolish, but it sort of breaks the ice as saying it wasn't my idea. I heard it from someone else, but it was from someone who has some expertise in it. And so I always That's think that that can be a really good tool. I mean, even if you're like, I was watching the news and they brought up the importance of this or that, you know, I really think maybe we should think about sitting down and talking about that. That can usually be a pretty safe way to enter that conversation. Um, and there's a lot of really great resources. You know, there's a wonderful book called The Remarriage Blueprint that uh, captures a lot of the research on sort of the different structures of families based on, you know, having remarriage with kids, without kids, with older kids, with younger kids, the financial piece as well. And I really think that that's another great tool to offer and say, we really need to think about this from the beginning or else we can find ourselves in some really unhealthy dynamics, whether it's with our spending or whether it's way we view your children versus mine. There's some really strong opinions about how to divide up your bank accounts when you're getting, you know, two different uh, parents that might have uh, different sets of child support from their exes, plus they're trying to build a life together. There's no one right way or wrong way, but I kind of personally ascribe to that for at least a while there should be, you know, yours, mine, and ours bank accounts, because I think that really helps with that separation of, and that's true even without kids involved, honestly, because sometimes you want to do a surprise for your partner. And it's hard to do that if all your financial things are tied up in each other, right? Um, <laughs> but when there's child scolding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, and that's, you know, I mean, some people have a credit card just for that, that your spouse doesn't know about. And that can kind of get risky too, because then when, what else do you use it for? And all of that. But I think when it comes to, especially if you're in a partner, Partnership where both of you were previously married and had children. So you're kind of Brady Bunch situation, right? Um, that you're getting child support most likely or paying child support. You know, most often the, the still in our culture, the males are usually paying the child support. But of course, there are situations where the females are making more money. So it's the other way around. And um, that affects those individual banking situations. And then you're still together saying, but we also want to save for our future and we want to go on vacations as this family and as a couple. And so sort of looking at your total amount of money each month, what's coming in and out, of course, and then dividing that up. And like you said, it's not the sexiest part of a conversation, but once you're getting to the point where you're going to live together, that needs to be part of the conversation too. It can't just be about the logistics of like how many bedrooms are in the house for the kids and things. It needs to be like, how are we going to live? What are we, how are we going to do this week to week what's our budget what's our in and out i think everything everything i'm hearing right now sort of reaffirms our the first principle of our book the four principles of a debt-free life in that you have to be money conscious you have to be very aware of how much you're making how much your new partner is making how much influence whether you're you're giving money um, to your ex or they're giving it to you, you have to really understand exactly what the entire cash flow system looks like. And then again, yeah. principle four, have a financial plan and make sure you have a plan that helps you achieve each one of your, your goals, whether it's individual with your new, your new partner or your ex partner, because you have, you're raising children together. You kind of have to have all that mapped out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I also think it's, it's very important. It's a very important topic for our community now too, because with marriage equality and so many more of us getting married, this yeah. subject is not just transferable from non or from traditional to non-traditional relationships. We have kind of a, some potential fluidity between relationships now of where, yeah. where we're going to have, we know that this is going to happen. There already are gay divorces where families are, kids are being separated. And so we know that's happening. Yeah. And, 
that it's it's just a topic that was probably ha all of this has been happening for a long time. It's just a topic that our community should now be talking about, and probably hasn't yeah. been because marriage, so to, in its true definition, has not been something we've been that concerned with. Uh, especially the the dynamics of maybe relationships changing. Yeah, and I think the the legal aspect of marriage um, and all that comes with that is still a relatively new concept in the queer community. I mean, it hasn't been an establishment in the queer community for very long. And so, you know, divorce is still a newer concept as well in that sense. And only because of just the actual how long it's been, you know, legal. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, even one of my clients right now that I'm working with, one of their exes is a woman. So there's a lesbian divorce and, you know, same principles apply certainly, but there's also the, you know, there's kids involved there. And so there's, there's a difference of sort of the way in which they were very much 50, 50 in their prior household. And so there's that difference of, you know, child support is less of the concern for them. It's more about, are we going to equally get to see the kids as much? Mm -hmm. um, but so it's sort of, but you know, there's still the legal separation, all that, and they, that's been pretty amicable for them. So that's a benefit, but again, that's a unique situation. Everyone is, each situation is individual, but I do think that having those conversations up front, like you said, the awareness is, is so important as you go through. I mean, I know in my personal situation, like you guys, we didn't talk too much about the finances specifically until it was really important to us to buy our own house, like leave both of our lives and not be living in one of our old houses or anything like that and sort of start together. And the buying of a house is where, you know, all of your, your skeletons in your closets for your financial <laughs> life come out. Right. So right. it was, and honestly, when we went to go meet with a financial advisor either in, during that process or anything. It was the, those questions that you get asked or all the things you have to provide when you're applying for a loan for a house. So mm -hmm. it's just such a smart thing to do ahead of time. And I really wish that it was still part of like, you know, uh, education system that you learn financial mm -hmm. skills, which, mm -hmm. you know, it sort of was taken out of the system. Um, but I feel like in high school, we should even know how to do that, which we don't anymore, you know. Right. Home well, you're you're preaching to the choir there. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to throw something in here, and I made this comment earlier that we have kind of a snarky uh, Valentine's Day gift idea. Because you you brought up this idea of gifts being uh, that there there are different types of gifts that can be given, and the fact that you mentioned that it wasn't until you started talking about buying a house together, or when couples start to do that, that some of those skeletons come out of the closet, or they start to reveal things financially. John and I were talking about how one of the best gifts that you can ever give to your partner is the gift of truth and honesty. And so we were joking oh. about how, right, <laughs> about how um, giving your partner the, your credit report <laughs> may be one of the best gifts that you could give them in a financial aspect, because giving that as a gift, you are giving that level of honesty and saying, here, I'm, I'm exposing my financial, my, my financial side to you. So you know exactly what, you're getting into with me, I would appreciate it if you could do the same for me. So, uh, Dr. Janelle, <laughs> you professional know, relationship expert. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that that, you know, I really, really think that's a super important concept. And I like that idea. I mean, you know, you might want to put it, put it in a box with a pretty bow still, but, <laughs> um, but really, truthfully, I mean, I know something that, 
you know, I've urged my clients before, like I've said about seeing a financial advisor, getting financial assistance that like, if you want to spend money on something, even like that's a way better gift than another night out to dinner. And like you said, knowing you're committing by saying, I'm sharing with you my skeletons, you need to share yours with mine if we're going to do this. It's also that sort of, you know, you need to set up those boundaries and say, I'm not willing to go the next level if you aren't going to share these things with me. Because they're, I mean, it is a mess if you don't do it right and then you separate, right? Mm -hmm. So that issue is huge. But I think, I mean, those kind of gifts, I, I always think are better. I mean, I, as you get older, it's less and less about, you know, what, what sentimental thing you can purchase to give each other for every single holiday that, as you said, Hallmark is trying to get us to buy things. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and things that will actually impact your future as a couple in a positive way are way more valuable. And that's certainly one way to do that. And, you know, funny or not, snarky or not, I actually think that there's a lot of couples that would benefit from that sort of truth and honesty up front right now. Right. Yeah, so I think it was Gary Zukov who said that a relationship is a partnership of equals where both parties is trying to help the other become a better version of themselves. And you can only do that if you're truly honest with each other. So even though we might be attracted to, to each other initially for animal instincts, at some <laughs> point, if, 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 if you're both going to be, if, if you're going to make this a, a viable, successful relationship, you have to be honest with yourself and you need to have these unsexy discussions. Right. Yep. I also think you see oftentimes the romantic uh, scene in the movie is when the guy acquiesces and gives a key to, <laughs> typically it's a girl, you know, yeah. gives, gives the key and everyone's like, oh, that's so nice. He's committing. He's, yeah. I think that a lot, maybe along with that key comes the financial exposure. You know, that is, yes. that's to me, and I know I'm coming from a, a finance background, <laughs> but to me, that is and uh, a higher level of commitment because you're actually saying, I'm ready to go down a financial path with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because I mean, like you said, giving the key is that part is that logistics that's saying you have you have drawers in my place now or you're moving in or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But it's not saying, oh, by the way, I am in a hundred thousand dollar debt from a bad business deal I made four years ago <laughs> and you know, we're never gonna get a mortgage. I mean, what I you know, not that you're hoping it's not that bad of a situation, obviously, but um like you said, it's that honesty, it's that commitment. And, you know, because in many ways you are going to try to be working towards the same financial goals as a couple once you once you commit to that. And yes, you know, debt that's yours before a partnership is still yours. But as you move forward, if you've been trying to work on that and you're also trying to save for a particular future and now you have a partner, yeah, you need to be open and honest, not just saying, I want to sleep in the same bed with you at night, but I also want to share my bank account with you at some point. Right. You know? And while I think it's 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 cute to put something that unsexy in a box with a bow on it, <laughs> I would not put it in a blue box because that feels like a bait and switch. <laughs> <laughs> it should be even a very boring box. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep. When you're talking about the little blue box, right? Like yeah, the Tiffany's little blue box. Yes, right. No, maybe not so much. That might end up not working in your favor. <laughs> that is a wet yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you mentioned initially about the um, I'm not going to quote it right. The, the the five different version kinds of gifts you can give. Oh, so well, there's five different love languages, but one of them specifically is gift giving. So the five love languages are sort of supposed to be five ways in which you can give or receive love. And what's what I love about them, I always have my clients sort of start with their uh, free profile of what those are, which is literally just the number five love languages dot com. It's a very, very old uh, system, but it's still completely relevant. I in these 
you know, really work. But it's basically the way in which you speak love and what you need. And we tend to give what we need rather than giving what our partner needs. <laughs> so, you know, we speak our own language and it takes us a little bit more skill if our partner needs something different. A lot of people end up in a relationship together because their needs might be similar. But sometimes you have people where they're very different. So the five languages are physical touch, uh, acts of service, words of affirmation, um, gifts, and I always forget one as I'm going oh, quality time. I always get to the fourth and lose the fifth by as I'm going. So, and those are basically saying it's really, you know, my, I feel the most loved when my partner gives me a hug, you know, as a physical touch aspect, right. Or I feel the most uh, valued when my partner went away on a business trip and brought me back something that made them think of them. That's more of the gift giving. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it's saying I'm loved because I got something that made them think about me or they thought enough about me to even buy me something. And what I love about that is I actually belong to their uh, email list. And so, you know, they send out ideas of how to help someone who has those particular love languages. And the ways in which you can show gifts are sometimes so separate from anything financial that I think is so great. I mean, it can be, you know, a flower at a park, obviously, that can be super sentimental, but it doesn't have to be something that costs money, which is what I always stress around Valentine's Day, that there are a lot of ways to give something that doesn't have to be something you have to spend money on. And, you know, I think everybody in general likes to receive a gift once in a while from their partner, certainly. But if your partner is somebody who really does respond well to gifts, it's more about the thought that goes into it always. And so this financial piece, again, to say, hey, I, I'm ready to take that next step with you. Like, I want to go see a financial advisor, I want us to go talk to a loan officer, I and mean, whatever it is, that that can be just as important, because it's showing that level of commitment and trust. Right. I think it's fascinating that the evidence suggests that there's these five different languages of love. But in our consumer society, they would have you believe <laughs> that we all want really expensive gifts. We all want <laughs> that's all we that, that's going to make us or a watch happy. or something like yep, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yeah. and so if you do spend a thousand dollars on a fancy watch for your partner, who would prefer to receive love through hugs, you probably just <laughs> <laughs> wasted a thousand dollars. Absolutely, and you yep. see that a lot. With I mean, it's it's actually very funny because all of my clients, and not a single one of them, have ever had gifts rated in the top three of their five, mm. and. I've and I actually have never really met anyone who has that as their top two. I'm, I know there's people out there. I'm sure I don't know them, um, but what that always They're says the to me diggers. that it's, <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, exactly. just it's almost always the three top are quality time, um, uh, words of affirmation, and then a tie between physical touch or acts of service. Those differ for people, uh, and so those things can be done without spending any amount of money at all. You know, maybe especially for a Valentine's Day, if acts of service. If you love it when you're partner does something like take some burden off your plate like you always do the laundry and one day they did all the laundry that didn't cost you any money and that's a gift right there right it's, it's both it's acts of service and it's saying you know I remember as kids we used to give our parents like coupons for Mother's Day and Father's mm -hmm. Day that said like I'll do the dishes for the week you know because I was a kid I didn't have any money but that was sort of me taking burden off their plate that also was a gift in some way so I think those can go hand in hand for Valentine's Day you know getting your car washed or detailed things like that that you know need to happen that your partner is not it's not high on their priority list but that they'd really appreciate it those can be really nice too <laughs> Why are you laughing, I, i'm sir? laughing because you mentioned the whole idea of a car wash and um that's not something that's super important to me um i don't i don't like a filthy car but i also don't always like mine to be spotless and a couple of weeks ago um i 
was out and I just decided to wash the car and John came into the garage and saw that the car was washed and he, he got the biggest grin on his face and he was so excited that the car was washed. <laughs> so I should awesome. be cluing into that, right? That's yeah, like, right. Now you know. Now you can just every once in a while, if you guys have had a disagreement, just go get the car washed. <laughs> there you go. I like it. I might have to come up with some spontaneous dis- arguments. <laughs> well, so I don't know if it was a podcast I listened to or a book I was reading or whatever, but the, the expert, the doctor, I think, um, had said that the best acts of service that you can do for a partner are things that your partner can do themselves, but mm-hmm. you're doing it for them to make their lives a little easier or to make them happy in a way that you know that they like to be made happy. Yeah, and that's huge. I mean, sometimes there are things, of course, that are super, you know, um, respected and appreciated because it is something you can't do or don't want to do, right? You know, I'm short. There's things that I have more difficulty with because uh, my partner's taller. But then there are things that you both may do or could do, but because of the nature of any partnership, one of you does something more. You know, I always take care of the litter box, and she always takes care of the dog poop in the lawn or whatever it is. So, but you know, once in a while, those doing the other for your partner again like you said we're obviously both capable but it's nice that it feels like okay I took something off of your checklist today and I think that's for anyone who's kind of dealing with overwhelm and stress that's one of the first things you learn is that if you can just delegate three things to your partner that could help you not feel like you're running around with your head cut off that's gonna even though you yes you you are capable of doing those things that just not having those three things on your item list is going to be a huge relief to you. And that certainly goes. And and that's true with all of the financial pieces as well. If there are, if there's an imbalance, if one of you is always doing the grocery shopping and this and that, even if you have mostly shared finances, there can be a piece of that where relinquishing a little bit might, might help a lot with that relief of, of stress and overwhelm. Yeah. I think that's all great information. It's very insightful to me to, 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 to hear, or I guess reaffirm that, there's so many things that you can do that don't require money. And even though that we're living in this consumer culture, we don't need to buy into that. Yeah. And so for our listeners who are struggling financially, um, and even for those who aren't, um, you don't need to, to dig yourself deep uh, into debt if you're not already in debt, or you don't need to dig yourself deeper into debt if you already are, um, just because it's Valentine's Day or because you want to show your love to your partner. Yeah. Yeah. And one last thing to add about that that I always say, and this is true across the board as well, is that the best received gifts are almost always, especially after the age of, I don't know, 20 something maybe, are um, experience gifts. So something that you can share an experience together. And lots of times there there might be a cost involved for some, but there are many experiences that you can do together that are more about the memories you're creating. And so that is more important and they don't have to cost money. And they're remembered and enjoyed probably longer than that one watch you only wore for a year before you broke it or something like that. So, you know, those are really nice to do, especially for birthdays and things like that, that are just doing something together in a unique way you came up with that can be shared. Yeah, absolutely. We wrote an article many years ago about um, the differences between um, experienced people and things people. And there's all sorts of studies that show that people will forget the things that you gave them. It's the, uh, the memories or the experiences, even if they don't, specifically remember the experience but they remember the emotion that they had from an experience that's what lasts 
Absolutely. Yeah. Great article. <laughs> I also think that um, that's part of the reason why we've become such a documentation society. We take selfies, we post things <laughs> on Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook, and we, we want to capture these experiences and put them out there. Now, I, I understand that there's a little bit of a um, uh, narcissistic side to it sometimes, <laughs> but um, there's also that, I think that there is that aspect of people that this is a great moment. I want to take a picture. So I remember it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When um, my, my ex actually, we were to, when we had our 10 year anniversary, we'd started dating when we were 17. And I said to him uh, for, you know, we were going out to dinner and I said, I want us to each come up with a memory of something we were, like did together or that we experienced together each of the 10 years. And this was also sort of a test because he had a pretty bad memory. And, uh, but I remember laughing because he had a couple years, he couldn't think of anything a whole year and also had a few things mixed up with the years. And I remember thinking like, you even have Facebook, you could probably go on and find the date of the picture that would tell you. Uh, but it was, you know, one of those things where it is kind of nice to have that documentation, but those memories are hopefully what lasts in your head more. Yeah. We'll take him as an exception. Actually, one of my favorite features about Facebook is the the new feature where they, they remind memories. you of memories. Yes. Like, oh, I remember that. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I used, uh, I have an app called time hop that, you know, does the same thing across all your social platforms, but every day it shows you what you posted or what you shared or even what you took a picture on your camera roll and then you can share it and sometimes put a fun board or whatever. But I always love doing that too, because things come up and, you know, and it's also a, almost a way to have artificial anniversaries for lots of, you know, more innocuous things in our lives that, mm -hmm. you know, Two, it's been two years since we did blah, 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 or since we first cut our son's hair or whatever it is. And those are kind of fun too. Yeah. Well, I think this has been a great conversation. I think there's yeah. a lot of useful information here for our audience um, who wants to who want to celebrate Valentine's Day, but not um, go into hawk doing so. So right. thank you for <laughs> yes. coming on our show. Where can our listeners find more about Dr. Janelle? Sure. Thank you for having me. First of all, I've very much enjoyed this conversation, even if we've gotten, you know, on some tangents here and there about <laughs> But that's what happens when you talk about relationships. Exactly. Um, so I am at drjanelle.com. It's D-R-J-E-N-N-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E, and I only spell that out because I always like to tell people that my name is actually the combination of my two grandmother's names, Jenny and Ellen. And that's why it's spelled the way that it is, because most people have never heard it spelled that way before. No, I always spell um, it wrong initially, then I got to go back and take the, the A out. <laughs> yep. So drjanelle.com has everything right there. I also have a podcast that's linked to the site called Big Change of Heart and a community on Facebook as well, where we talk about the issues brought up by the podcast, but where people are going through exactly what we talked about today. So the strains that come with the financial changes, as well as everything else, when you're sort of leaving one type of lifestyle for another, or, you know, just deciding you want to start a different kind of lifestyle. So that's, a, that's where the idea of big change of heart came from. That's great. I think our, our listeners should get a lot of useful information out of that. So as of the time of this recording, uh, we don't have a specific date yet, but Dr. Janelle has uh, been kind enough to invite David and me onto her show. Um, and that will, I think, be published in March, um, but we yeah. don't know the date yet. So by the time of the publication of this particular podcast, we'll have that date nailed down so we can share that with our listeners and direct them over to you. Awesome. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to that. I know my listeners need to hear from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you again, Dr. Janelle. We're lucky enough to not be dealing with a divorce ourselves, but there are many of us out there that are, and we hope this show helps you with not only a few ideas how to make your money conversations as a couple easier, 
but also protect you from having an ugly head arise with one of the X's. Also remember, February 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern, Dr. Janelle will host the workshop, The Art of Arguing, a heart-centered workshop, which you can click through to via the show notes page for this podcast. Have a great week. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) The other end, I like the butts, so. (laughs) From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.